Good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you out. I invite you to go ahead and take out a Bible, be following along with us as we dive into God's Word this morning. Almost two months ago, we took Ryder to the Urgent Treatment Center with severe pain. After spending about five minutes at the UTC, he was advised to head straight to the ER for emergency surgery. We were crushed. We were scared. We were crying. We were praying for God's help and guidance. We rushed over to UK and Ryder was taken back to be examined while I watched his brothers and waited on family to arrive so that I could go back and join them. And to say that we were stressed out is an understatement. We had no idea how insignificant or severe his problem might be. We had no idea how we were going to afford this emergency. We had no idea about anything. And it wasn't until I got back to see them that Holly informed me of Ryder's mantra throughout this experience. As he lay on the table, in pain from being prodded and poked, filled with fear of surgery and unknown, he prayed. Repeatedly, he prayed this small prayer. God will provide. I learned that evening the meaning behind Jesus' words. I learned that evening the meaning behind His words in Matthew 18, verses 3-4. through Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In a few days, many people are going to sit down and gorge themselves on some amazing cooking, sleep the afternoon away, get lost in football traditions, or stay out all night fighting for material possessions. And, and I'm not here this morning to condemn any of that. I'm here to remind us that that day and every day, we need to be trying to live out the prayer of this young man. In fear of eternity, relying on the fact that God will provide. Let's consider that for a while this morning. How can we be certain that God will provide? Well, first I want to show that that's what Jesus taught. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus was teaching about the provision of God. In verse 25, he tells them not to be worried, not to be filled with anxiety, not to be caught up or carried away in your concern for things pertaining to this life, such as food or drink, nor even what you will wear. He says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In our class downstairs teaching Easton and Grace and, and Hayden, I'm always, I'm always thankful for the the opportunity that I have to teach them, to learn from them. 
and to also be entertained by them. We were discussing Elijah and the journey of uh, that he took, the 40 days and 40 nights. And now, he did not eat on that time, but but he was fed. Uh, th- the angel come, came and woke him up and fed him. And, and I was <laughs> so tickled by grace and the deep thought that she had when she looked up and said, that must have been some kind of food. Three days tops. Three days is what we're, we can survive without food. See, even our children understand how important food is. And so Jesus is not talking about a trivial matter here. This is something important to our survival, and yet he says it's not necessary for us to be overly concerned. Why? Verses 26 through 30, I believe, gives an answer to that. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's saying because of God, we don't get overly concerned about these things. And when I say overly concerned, I mean that that worry that grips us and controls us. God takes care of his creation. Jesus uses the example of birds of the air and grass of the field. And what he's doing is choosing things that seem insignificant. When was the last time you gave much thought to your grass? It was probably, if you're like me, sometime in the week when it needed to be cut. And after that, you didn't give thought to it again. But every day, excuse me, but every day God provides the rain it needs to grow. Every single day he gives it the light it needs to be fed. And of his creation, how much more valuable are you? Now, this is not Jesus saying God is going to give you everything you want. And there are certainly times when God's people go without. Throughout history, this has been observed. Christians have been murdered, tortured, and starved, but in general, God's people are physically provided for, and spiritually, God's people are always provided for. Hence the reason Jesus goes on to say in verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was saying, you don't be like the world that focuses and obsesses over physical matters. God is aware of what you need. He can take care of you. So instead, you be just as obsessed over His will as the world is over its own things. In fact, that is one of the ways God provides for us. is through the revelation of His will. You think about the way Jesus chose to describe that. He says, seek first. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek as a child? I still play that today with my boys. And 
The only focus in that game, if you are the one that is seeking, is to find the ones that are hiding. The very definition for seek, or its past tense form, sought, means to attempt to obtain. Attempt to obtain. Jesus is literally saying here, God knows what you need. So if you attempt to obtain His will before anything else in life, you will have what you need. Jesus taught God will provide for you. It may not be in the way you currently expect, but in His wisdom, it will be in the way you currently need. I think Paul makes, uh, sets a great example of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, listen to what he says uh, there. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, Paul was tormented by it. He struggled and fought with it, and in, in that prayed that God would remove it. And God in His wisdom left it. He provided power. He provided grace, and in that provision, Paul boasted, not in his own triumph, but in the power of Christ that dwelt in him. Being content with not having everything he wanted, or even everything that he thought he needed but trusting in the provision of God to be his strength. You see, Jesus taught and believed God would provide for those that sought after him. And that is in keeping with his character. Consider also that history teaches that God provides. In Genesis 22, there is an account of the provision of God in the life of Abraham and Isaac. Maybe you remember the account. Abraham and Sarah, they are advanced in age, never having children of their own, yet... God has promised that He will give them a child. And in keeping with this promise, God provides for them with a son named Isaac. But one day, God does the unthinkable. He calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. And verse 2 details this and adds to the thought. The fact that God asked him not only to sacrifice his son, but his only son. A son whom he loved. How could Abraham ever follow such a difficult request? And yet, our account finds Abraham with Isaac following along and some servants as they head out towards the place of God that God had told them to go. And how confusing this must have been to those that were following. You see, they had wood. They had fire for, for setting the wood on fire. But they had no offering. And ironically, it is Isaac who is to be that sacrifice, raising the question to Abraham. And his response is recorded in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So we remember the account. They wind up at the place of sacrifice. The altar is erected. Isaac is bound and Abraham stands over him, knife raised, ready to slay the child. When the angel of the Lord called to him saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham was fully aware what has just happened. He was fully aware of what he has just experienced. God had provided for him. But look back in verses 4 and 5. Look at what happens prior to all of this. On the third day, Abraham raised his eye and he saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham knew from the beginning that God in some way would provide. He would provide. He says, you stay here and we, I and the lad, are coming back. The Hebrew author reveals more. In Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, discussing the thoughts of Abraham, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, And Isaac your descendant shall be called. The Hebrew author reveals that Abraham knew a promise had been made by God, that he would receive descendants through Isaac. And so verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. He knew God was going to provide. And he didn't know how he would do it, whether it meant resurrecting Isaac back from the dead or whether it meant being, finding a ram caught in a thicket, it didn't matter. He knew God was going to provide for them. Why? Because this is who God is. Genesis 1 and 2 reveals to us God provides life to the world and life to man. And then He provided a garden where man could be cared for and could reside in the presence of God. Genesis chapter 6. God provides salvation in a time of great wickedness through the ark for Noah and his family. In Genesis 19, he provides a mean of, means of escape for Lot and his family from the destruction of that wicked city of Sodom. Why shouldn't Abraham expect God to provide? It seems like that is all God has been doing since creation. So far, we have seen that Jesus taught that God would provide during his ministry, and God displayed his ability to provide throughout history. So how does that affect us today? Well, to wrap this sermon up, let's consider a few points that we should take away from the realization that God will provide. First, if we want to be pleasing to God, we must believe this. Back over in Hebrews chapter 11, a passage we oftentimes turn to to learn about faith and the definition of faith. Notice what he says in verse 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. We love to quote that. We must believe in God to be pleasing to God, but the author doesn't stop there. He makes a second point. The faith that pleases God is one that not only believes that he is, but also that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
That's exactly what Jesus was calling his people to do back in Matthew 6. Seek him first and be rewarded. Believing God will provide is the motivating factor behind seeking him. Why else would you lay aside your old life? Why else would you follow a man who has been killed upon a cross? Why else would you devote your life to him? Because you believe that he will provide you with a reward and an inheritance in heaven. The realization that God will provide means that this isn't a hobby, it's a journey. A race, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians 9, towards an imperishable goal. Because we believe God will provide. Let's pray like we believe God will provide. You know, we talked about this Sunday when we studied Colossians 4. I don't want to belabor this point, but it is worthy to remind ourselves what Paul taught about the importance of prayer and seeking the provision of God. In Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 through 7, Notice what he says there about how prayer works for us and and guards us. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, as he begins to talk about God's provision, in verse 19 he says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches, and glory in Christ Jesus. This is the realization that God will provide, that God is able to provide. Ephesians 3.20 tells us He can do more than we can ask or even think of. That should prompt us to pray with greater fervor. But if we believe God will provide, and that changes the way we pray, should it not also change the way we live? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Paul reveals a very reassuring fact. He says, Nothing you face today is new. Adultery, fornication, greed, selfishness, idolatry, they may take many forms, but they have been around for quite a while. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. God is faithful. I believe that looks back to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, which says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. This is the same God you serve. And as He has always done in the past, He will provide you with a way of escape, a way to escape damnation. But another thing that has always been true is that He never forces anyone to take it. Noah could have chosen not to build the ark. Many people chose not to board it. Lot and his family could have looked back to the city as his wife did. Abraham could have said, I will never sacrifice my son. If we believe that God will provide pray like God will provide. We will be more apt to live like God will provide, choosing to seek the way of escape, His will, rather than participating in sin and becoming enslaved in it. With that final thought, let me close with this. In that account of Abraham and Isaac, we most often see how Abraham was provided for. He didn't have to kill his son, his only son. A ram was given. But have you ever thought about Isaac? You see, I picture Abraham, knife held above his head, tears streaming down his face, 
Because after all, he knew God was going to provide, but killing your son, that is a difficult thing. That is an unimaginable thing. That is impossible for me to to fathom without emotion. But what about Isaac? Isaac, who has been bound by his father, his only father, whom he thought loved him, who has been laid upon the altar where the sacrifice is supposed to lay, He's looking up at his fate at the end of a sharp knife held in the hands of his father as he prepares to end his life. Isaac must have felt helpless, afraid, and doomed. And then in a time when he could do nothing to save himself. Had done nothing worthy of saving himself. God provided. I don't know about you, that reminds me of Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 11 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God loved this world enough. He loved me enough. He loved you enough that he provided his son, his only son, so that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. He provided our ram in the thicket the pure Lamb of God, sinless, righteous, at a time when we were unbelievers, enemies of God, that we might become reconciled to Him through the blood of His Son. Will you pause for a moment and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your guidance and revelation, for the revelation of Your will for us. You have felt worthy to not only reveal yourself to us, but to reveal your love to us. And it is our desire this morning to draw closer to you. So we thank you that you have provided a way that we might do that. Help us to clear our hearts from the distractions of this world. Help us to clear our minds from the fear and worry that can hinder us from obedience. And help us to see your provision in our lives. And to live in such a manner that shows we rely on you. And that you should be glorified before all mankind. We love you, Father, and it is in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, friends, I can't think of a better reason to be thankful. Today, tomorrow, every day until the return of our Lord. History records and Jesus taught, God will provide. And that's simple enough that a child can understand it. Will you choose to believe that? To be reconciled to God through the blood of His Son? When someone comes to believe that God is, that He is righteous and that they are not. When someone comes to believe that their unrighteousness demands that God do fairly and righteously in judgment, there is only one way in which they can enjoy the provision of God today. It is through faithful love towards His Son. Love that follows. Love that is transformed. Love that obeys. Have you come to Jesus in obedience to receive forgiveness of your sins? If you have never before been baptized, completely immersed in water, then you have not. 
But there is water here today. What is holding you back? Believe in Christ. Confess Him before sins. Repent and turn from your sins and turn from your way of doing things and turn to Him. Be washed in baptism. God will provide. If we can help you with that this morning, won't you please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.